Welcome to State Road 49, an audio program that shares extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm your host, Aaron Freinberger, and I'd like to thank you for coming back. As always, share, tell your friends, and click the review button to tell us what you think. We always love your feedback. Today's episode features Teresa Maletta. Full disclosure, my wife's grandmother. She recently told me about how life was in Gary, Indiana in the 1950s. It was interesting how neighbors and community came together to help each other out. And I asked her to sit down with us. And here we go. I'm 85. I have very little working experience because I raised seven children. And that was a big job. I had seven children. My seven children produced 14, I believe, grandchildren. And now we're expecting our 15th great-grandchild. So when I heard your story, Mm -hmm. um, the story you were talking about um, how it was when uh, Sammy, when he went to war, or Um, he got drafted, or take me there. So what happened? They still had the draft then. Okay, and what year was this? 1954. Okay, so this is post-World War II. Oh, it's after World War II, and it is also, he was lucky because they had just ended the Korean War. Because so he, you know, a year earlier he'd have been in the war. Right. So he was lucky and he got to stay in the States. He went to uh, uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky most of the time. He went somewhere else and I don't want to get him and my son Bob mixed up because Bob was in Pensacola, but I think most of the time he was in Fort Knox. So he was close enough that at least once every three weeks or a month, a bunch of the guys that were from the area rode together and they came home. What branch of service was he in? Army. March 1954. And uh, we were very young when we married, but at that time, that was just everyone married young. I was 17, he was 19. He graduated uh, high school early. I think he was 17 when he graduated. And very few people in our area went that graduated high school went on to college. It isn't like your generation. Uh, especially women would never go. It would be men if, if they went. So anyway, um, he was in ROTC in high school. And so he had a little rank when he went in. But we didn't know. It's like all of a sudden, you know that you're going to go, but then you're told, well, now, like next week, we're picking you up. 
you're going to go get your buddies ready. And uh, uh, we'd only been married a couple years, and our oldest one just turned a year old, and I was five months pregnant with the second one. And he went. We were living in an apartment, which cost what we got from the old car. And so he left, and I had one kid in the belly and one in my hand, and not a dime. I assumed when he went that within a few weeks or a month, we'd get a paycheck, and we didn't. And the second month went, and I didn't have a paycheck. And uh, I went to the Red Cross, and I asked them if they could help me just enough that I could pay my rent and buy something to eat, and they said no. It was close to three months before I got any money at all. And then it was only a hundred, I think it was $109 a month. I'd never lived by myself. That was terrifying, you know, from your, well, like most of us, from your mother's house to your <laughs> husband's. And we were both kids. Now I look back, we were just kids. And I can't remember who it was that told me go over. There was a project there. And uh, it was built, really, for military families during World War II. And so I was able to get a place there, which actually was much nicer than the apartment that we had. And um, my rent was like $20 a month. It was really cheap. So out of my 96 one I did get, but, you know, we had to buy coal. You know, you have utilities and groceries. I didn't drive. I didn't have a car. And uh, so if the kids were sick, we had I had to walk like four blocks to the bus, catch a bus. Our doctor was in, the, we lived in Gary, Indiana. Take the bus to the doctor's office in downtown Gary. was in the bank building and uh, catch a bus back. When you went to this project housing, was there other people whose husbands were uh, deployed? There might have been, but at that time, no. Most of them were just people that uh, needed help. I don't know if there were big families or maybe divorced woman and her kids or something like that. But it, it wasn't a bad place at all. Was there a lot of people at that time that were deployed? Do you remember? 19, I mean, it's a while back ago. I mean, did you have any other friends that were? No, we didn't. We didn't have a lot of them. Okay. But, uh, you know, and it, my story isn't the story of somebody coming back maimed or the horror stories. It was just a story of a person that was very frightened, didn't know where to turn, and... Uh, It was scary. I had a girlfriend that's brother um, in the days when nobody took drugs or you never heard the word drugs, didn't know what they were. And it was her older brother and he was a drug addict. And how he found out where I lived, I don't know. but. God must have been with me because the people that moved 
next door to the unit and our doors are here and here, were very, very nice people. And they had a couple little boys. But they stayed up late at night, and I put the kids to bed early and went to bed early. And this night, I wake up and I hear knocking on my door, so I go down. It wasn't my front door, it was a back door. And I'm thinking, this is like, you know, midnight or something like that, and uh, I'm not gonna answer this door, and I'm trying to peek out through the window somewhere to see, and I thought, what in the world is he doing here? I'm not opening this door for him. And I waited, and he just kept pounding and pounding on the door. So now I'm really afraid. So I go out my front door, and seen their lights were on next door, opened their door, ran into their house, and I'm trying to tell him, this guy needs a drug addict, and he's <laughs> knocking on my door. And so the man says, I'll come over with you. So he came over, and he went to the back door, and he jerked it over. He said, what do you want? And the kid said, oh, oh, I thought this was Sam Maletta's place. And he says, well, you know what time it is? And uh, he said, yeah. He says, well, don't you come around here again. I mean, because he was a great big man. The guy never bothered me again. One thing, when, when Sam left early, early in the morning, that morning he went, Sammy was running a temperature the day before, and I had called the doctor. And sometimes doctors make, made house calls then. So I had cried all night. And the uh, doctor came that morning, and uh, I guess he could tell I'd cried all night. And he said to me, do you have food? And I said, yeah, I got food. He went and looked at my refrigerator, opened it up to check to make sure there was food. He says, oh, if you need anything, I want you to let me know. He says. We'll get you what you need. You know, and gave Sammy a shot and so on and so forth. And I never called on my doctor to do that. He would have done it. But there are good people out there. We were raised very poor, but we were very proud. And uh, we managed. My son, Sammy, he's just a little guy, and he says to me, Mommy, the room keeps going around. I says, the room's going around. He says, it's going around and around. And uh, he was like falling. So I thought, oh my God, I gotta get him to the doctor. So I took him to the doctor, and he thinks there was some, that it was his tonsils. And so he sent me to ear, nose, and throat man. And he said, yeah, he needs his tonsils taken out, but he's only two. That was when he turned two. And he says, uh, we can't do anything until he's three years old. You can't take tonsils out of a child younger than that. And he says, but what we'll do, let's get him ready. He says, and he had me, uh, he gave me prescriptions for multiple strong uh, vitamins to help get him over that, and it did. He seemed like he was doing fine, and um, it was just a hard time. They took his tonsils out when he turned three, 
and he was fine. And when he turned five and he started school, uh, they took TB tests of all the kids, and he came out positive, and he had scar tissue on his lung. And the only thing we could figure is probably during that time that we lived in that project, and we had coal heat, and I had to go out and shovel the coal and put the coal into the furnace and into the hot water heater. Maybe the, the smoke from all that, because you could feel all the building was coal. You walk outside, it's, you're, it's coal. Hmm. Uh, but that he had gotten TB. So that was probably when he was like a year old. And we didn't know that. Had they not taken that test in school, we would have not known it. Even as an adult now, if he goes for a physical, there's scar tissue all over his lungs. When he was so sick, the doctor said, don't let him up, don't let him walk around or anything. So I had this appointment, and he was a good-sized kid for his age. Some kids are little and some are bigger. Uh, and he was bigger one. He was heavy. <laughs> and I had to carry him about five blocks, and then Cindy was just a little toddler. And I couldn't carry both of them at the same time, so I'm dragging her. It's winter. Yeah, it was dark. And uh, so I'm waiting with these two kids to get on the bus, and it's snowing like crazy. And poor Cindy, she's crying. She's wanting me to pick her up. We were waiting and waiting for the bus, and a car drove by, and the man stopped. I mean, he could see me with them kids like that. He said, do you want a ride? Well, any normal person would not take their two kids on a ride with a stranger, but I wasn't normal right then. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, where are you going? And I said to him, well, thank you. I said, uh, my son's sick, and I have to get him to the doctor. Go downtown Gary to the bank building. He says, okay, let me in. Didn't say a word, you know, as nice as could be. Took me to the bank building and dropped me off. And I said, that was my angel. Did you ever find out who he was? No, I had no idea. No idea who he was. And you know, he just went on his way, but I think he probably seen me in that snow with these two little kids struggling. And it was a nice, everybody's not bad. You know, sometimes you get, especially today, you get to thinking that, but they're not. There are good people out there. And God sends them when you need them. Can you talk to us about other things, how it was not having Sammy there and, and just kind of give us... It was us, just hard, you know. you know. I didn't drive and, and I didn't have a car if I did drive, you know, because we'd sold that car. and uh, Did you sell it to pay the rent? Yeah, I had to. I had a mean landlady. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted her money. She wanted her money, so the car went, huh? Yeah, so the car went. And, uh, you know, and my, and my family you know, helped me uh, uh, with things. 
my brother-in-law, who I always felt like was a big brother to me because my sisters were older than me. And uh, he came and he took me to the hospital when I had Cindy. And uh, Did you I, have Cindy when he was deployed, Sammy? She was like three days old when he came back. My doctor had been in the Army, and uh, I heard him when I'm in the hospital saying to the nurse, you be good to her now because her husband's in the service and he's not here with her. He said, so you watch out for her. <laughs> I guess my faith kept me through it. I, I can't tell you what else I had, you know, and I seem to have very nice neighbors, and I've been blessed my whole life. Wherever I lived, I've had really good neighbors, and where I live now, it's a, a subdivision that was built for uh, empty nesters, or people, young couples that um, didn't want a yard or didn't want to take care of things. And uh, uh, it's the nicest place I ever lived. And everyone, there is not, I can't think of a person in that whole subdivision I wouldn't like. Do you think people realize by being a good neighbor how much that means to people? I mean, do you think those people knew that in your life? No, yeah. no, no. You know, when our times were bad, we took care of ourselves and did with what we had. We didn't think that the world owed us anything. So to kind of get a feeling of where you are now, how many kids? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. Well, I had seven children. My seven children produced... 14, I believe, grandchildren. And now we're expecting our 15th great-grandchild. So I think we're a good-sized family. And I have to say something, because in my heart it's true. Probably everybody thinks this, but I know it. I have the most beautiful grandchildren and great-grandchildren of anybody. Once again, that was Teresa Maletta, my wife's grandma, who we'd like to thank for sharing her story. And we'd like to thank you for listening. We'll see you next month. I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49. Freinberger, Matt Willingham, and Garrett Schultz. It is executive produced by the Heartland Christian Center. Visit their website at hcc3d.com. That is hcc3d.com. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Garrett Schultz. Music by Thomas Kilobus. For more information about the program, visit us at facebook.com slash stateroad49. This program was produced in Valparaiso, Indiana.